Uh, last week in, at our other campus, I talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, how essentially you and I cannot be the people that God wants us to be apart from the word of God, apart from the scripture, apart from the Bible. And today we're going to talk about um, the scripture and, and darkness. You know, I, I didn't know that I was scared of the dark. In fact, I would have told you that I, I was not scared of the dark. But a few years ago, my son Jackson and I were driving through West Texas and we were looking for something to break up the trip. And and so we stopped at the Sonora Caverns. I don't know if any of you have been there, but we showed up, just pulled off, saw a sign, pulled off and rolled up. And it was a nice place, but it seemed like one of those places where they wake up in the morning and decide if they're going to be open. You know what I mean? Like, are we feeling it today? No, I'm not really feeling it. I feel drowsy from last night. So we'll just close. You know, it felt a little bit like that. And so they were open. They were feeling good that day. And so they lead us down into the cavern. It's just a guide and, and Jackson and I and just two other people. So real small. And they lead us in. And of course, it's beautiful and it's great. And we're talking about stalactites and stalagmites and formations. And don't touch that because if you touch it, it dies. And, and I'm there with a six-year-old, you know, so I'm like, hold your hands behind your back. You know, I can't afford to purchase this cave. So please <laughs> don't ruin it. And, and we're just descending, descending, descending. You can tell that we're descending because we're walking down steps, which means we're going to have to walk up a bunch of steps at some point in this journey. And we get down, you know, after about a 45 minute walk, we get in this room and there are some benches in there and she has us sit down and then she turns out the lights and it is dark. I mean, it's pitch black. Pitch black is not even the right appropriate word for this. And she said, I actually want you to take your hand and I want you to put it in front of your face. She said, you'll notice that you can see the outline of your hand. And sure enough, I could. She says, uh, you can't see your hand right now. There's no light in here, which means your eyes don't work. But your brain knows that your hand is right there. And so it's showing you the outline of your hand. And sure enough, when I looked at it again, because now I knew what was happening, I couldn't see anything. And I immediately grab onto Jackson because he can't get lost in this darkness. Because if he wanders off and I lose him, I might as well turn around and head back to California because I'm not allowed home if I don't come home. <laughs> you know, with our firstborn. Amanda's not going to have that. And so I'm holding on to him and the guide is talking and she's telling us all about the eyes and how it works and darkness and caves and all of that. And then she stops talking for a very long time. And I'm wondering, like, did she leave us in here? Is this a <laughs> hilarious joke? When is she going to turn it on? And it just felt creepy, you know, it's the best way to describe it. And you know that feeling, whether you've been in a, a pitch black moment or you're the last one to leave work and you're shutting off all the lights and, you know, you just feel like somebody else is in there. And so you run to the door or you run to your car in the dark parking lot because there's just something scary about the darkness. And that's what we're going to see in the scripture today. Honestly, there is something scary about the darkness. And here's the word for today, the main idea for today, that you can overcome darkness in the world or in yourself without the word of God. You can't overcome darkness in the world or in yourself without the word of God. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. That word is methodia. It means his methods, his strategy. One way to translate it is his tricks. 
See, Satan has tricks and we have truth. Satan has tricks. He has strategies. He has methods. He wants to lure you in. He has tricks, but we have the truth. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So you can see that the Apostle Paul, he lists a bunch of different names for these dark powers. And what many Bible scholars believe is this is essentially an org chart of the powers of darkness. That at the top, you have the devil, you have Satan. And then underneath, you have rulers. And then underneath those, you have authorities. And underneath those, you have world powers of this darkness. And underneath that, you have spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That means heavenly realms. That means in invisible places. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 10 to show you one of the weirdest stories in the scripture. Just to open up our minds that there really is an invisible world where there are things going on that we may have a hard time comprehending. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel, a prophet, a righteous man, living in exile in Babylon, arrest, uh, along with the rest of God's people. It says he's mourning for, for, for weeks and he's not eating, he's fasting. And he's on the bank of this river. And this is what happens in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me and raised me to my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand these words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet. For I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. So Daniel is on the bank of a river. He's distraught. He's torn up. He's been praying. And some kind of angelic heavenly being comes to him and and picks him up. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. And I have come because of your prayers. So the first thing that we need to understand is even though the heavenly realm is invisible to us, what we do in this visible realm affects it. That when you pray, when you respond to God, when you humble yourself before God, what you're doing here on earth affects heavenly realms. Daniel prayed and this angel was sent to him. And this is what happens next. This is what he says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. So here's the story that happens. Daniel is praying and he's fasting and he's mourning and God sends an angel to come to him to help him understand the vision. Meanwhile, Satan and all that organization chart of darkness does not want that to happen. So this prince of Persia comes who's a spiritual being. How do we know it's a spiritual being? Because Michael, the archangel, is also referred to as a prince. So we're talking about angelic beings, uh, light, heavenly, uh, God centered God's messenger angelic beings and then devil the devil's uh, messengers his forces those angelic beings this prince of persia comes and there's a little battle 
And the angel sent by God cannot overcome this demon, this prince of Persia that is underneath the authority of Satan until what? Michael, the archangel, has to come and help. And when Michael comes, then everything is fine. And this first angel is allowed to go to Daniel to come and help him understand this vision. Now, I don't know what you've been reading this week, but that's pretty strange. And I didn't really realize that that kind of stuff happens, that there really is a battle There really is stuff going on in invisible realms and what happens in those invisible realms affects us, but what we do in the visible realms affects them. It was Daniel's prayer that started this chain. So if you're like, man, God's not hearing my prayers. God's not responding to me. I don't understand. You never know what is happening because of your prayers. And what this tells me is anything is possible. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, God, bless me today. That's the prayer most of us are praying. But what if we started praying prayers that might have the potential to move heavenly beings from one place to another place? All of this is happening in invisible places. Now, the Ephesians, that's the people that the Apostle Paul is writing to, they had a history with these invisible forces of darkness. Acts chapter 19 tells the first story of the Apostle Paul and the gospel coming in to Ephesus. And it's a pretty wild story. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths Or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came to them. So the Apostle Paul has such an anointing on his life right now by the grace and power of God that he doesn't even have to go to pray for you. If a friend would take something, a cloth, an apron, a handkerchief to Paul, touch Paul, then bring it back to you, touch you, you would be healed of your disease. And if you were possessed by a demon, then it would leave you. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, in case any of you are looking for baby names. (laughs) A Jewish chief priest were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? So here's what happens. God is doing an incredible miracle through the Apostle Paul. Some other people who don't even believe in Jesus, they're Jewish itinerant exorcists. So they are not believers in Jesus. They are Jewish people, just like Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. But they go, wow, that's cool. That's amazing. When this guy is around, people are healed and demons come out. When stuff touches him and then goes and touches other people, people are healed and demons come out. Let's try our hand at that. That looks neat. And so they do. These seven sons of Sceva. But look how they say it. I command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So it wasn't any connection to them. It was I command you by Jesus who the apostle Paul is connected to. See, when we're talking about 
overcoming spiritual forces of darkness, you cannot ride someone else's coattails. You can't. You can't say, well, my church, they are a powerful force of light in this dark place. And I go to church there, so that's good enough. It's not good enough. You get power to overcome darkness in the world and in your own life through your own personal connection to Jesus. You don't get another mediator outside of Jesus between you and God. Oh, a pastor can't do it for you. A spiritual leader can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your power to overcome darkness is about your connection to Jesus. You can't cast out darkness in the name of Jesus through someone else. It has to be connected to you. And it wasn't connected for these Jewish itinerant exorcists. So look what happens. Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them. So they ran out of the house naked and wounded. So look at the double shame for these guys. First of all, a demon talks back to them. So I'm already freaked out a little bit. And what does he say? I know Jesus. So it's a good reminder for us today as we're talking about spiritual powers of darkness that they understand who Jesus is. We don't need to introduce Jesus to these people. They're well aware. These demons are well aware of who Jesus is. Jesus we know and Paul we've heard of which if any of us are feeling um, really superior spiritually right now, like I got it, man, when I walk into a room, people's heads turn, they come to look for me for spiritual wisdom. I've got all the authority. I've got all the answers. I've got this. Then we just need a reality check today because Jesus they knew and Paul they've heard of. I don't think they know who I am. (laughs) Curtis, hmm, Coming up blank. (laughs) Paul, they've heard of. This is just a humbling for any of us today who are feeling mighty. So they don't know who these seven sons are. And then this demon possessed man essentially beats the heck out of them and rips off all their clothes and they run out. And this, verse 17, became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus. Can you imagine the shame of that? Everybody knows who the seven sons of Sceva are now. Both Jews and Greeks. Then look what happened. Then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. See, when the curtain is pulled back, that there really is a spiritual battle that Satan really does have an organized strategy and system to take us down, to amplify darkness. When the curtain gets pulled back, then an awareness falls on us. And when the awareness falls on us, an awakening happens. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. See, some of us today, we're not believers. We are investigators, but we're not believers. You've not taken the plunge. You've not put your faith in Jesus. You're around, you're checking it out, which is great. But reading these stories today, they should cause you to believe that there really is an invisible realm, a heavenly realm. And there's a battle in that heavenly realm. And it should cause an awakening in you. And then look what happens 
And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they collected their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. So the curtain gets pulled back because of Paul's miracles, because the sons of Sceva uh, ran out wounded and naked. Uh, an awe comes over people. An awakening comes over people. And they go, we believe in Jesus now. He is ultimate light. And we've been practicing darkness. So they come and they confess all their darkness. They come and bring all their magic. They come and bring all their books. There's some of that here today. You're like, no, we're good Christian people. I would guess a bunch of us, in fact, Gateway drugged into horoscopes in the newspaper. And then you had a friend who went to a psychic. And they came back and said, you're not going to believe this. They knew everything. I didn't tell them. I didn't have that on the internet. They didn't have my Facebook account. They didn't know. And they knew somehow, miraculously, everything that was going on in my life. And I left so encouraged. And I left so built up. And I was all anxious about everything. But I went to this psychic and I wasn't anxious anymore. It's amazing. You got to go. And you're like, I don't know. I'm a Christian. I don't know. I go to church. I don't know if I believe in that. And then a hard time came to you. And you needed to be built up. And they were in your ear. No, you got to go. You got to go. And you went. You went and she stood across the little table and it was like you were in a TV show. And she told you your life. You thought it was just tricks, but it turns out she knew. And now you're hooked. You're like, well, I've only been back a few times and I can quit anytime that I want to. Listen, you opened up a door that you are not going to be able to close yourself just because you want to. And you better come disclosing and confessing your practices today. Why? Because the church needs to hear it. No, you need to say it so that you can be free. And listen, that's more than one of us. I I would guess there are a bunch of us who have visited a psychic multiple times in the last six months. Why? Because somebody brought a testimony that seemed irrefutable. And you were in a moment of need. Maybe you read some kind of books and it started out real light children's literature, but then you finished that series of books and you liked it then. So you moved into something a little bit more serious and on your bookshelf right now is just darkness. And you're like, well, it's a good story. Yeah, and Satan has his tricks. So if that's you today, then come confessing and disclosing because you're not going to get those hooks out of you any other way. So when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six about this organization chart of evil, the Ephesians are not blown away by this. They have been eyewitnesses to this kind of power and this kind of of darkness. In fact, that's why the Apostle Paul, he, he connects it to something so simple even. He says in verse 26 of chapter 4, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We've always talked about that as just a good marriage tip. 
You want to have a good marriage? Hey, don't go to bed angry. Hold hands, stare in each other's eyes and remind each other why you love one another before you go to bed. And you're in that moment and you're like, I love you, but I kind of hate you right now. So I don't want to look deep in your eyes right now. And I don't want to hold your hands. And then you, you do it. You do the spiritual thing and you hold hands. But then one of you's got just the cold clampy hand. You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm doing the bare minimum. You want to hold my hand, hold it like this, you know? That's how we've read that verse. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because it's good for your marriage. No, look what Paul says. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't go to bed angry because you open the door to the devil. And that word opportunity, if you have the NIV version, it says don't give the devil a foothold. Uh, it literally means a place. Don't give him a, another a, a place in your life. In 2 Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 10, verse 4, he uses a different word. He uses the word stronghold, which is like a fortified city. And this is his strategy for your life. He wants to get a place, and from the place, he wants to build a fort in your life. This is what the powers of darkness want to do. Wants any place. Doesn't care what place it is. Doesn't care if it's pornography. Doesn't care if it's anger. Doesn't care if it's self-righteousness. He he doesn't care if it's gambling. He doesn't care if it's just being a jerk. He doesn't care if it's uh, cheating. He doesn't care if it's lying. He doesn't care if it's stealing. He doesn't care if it's watching television. He doesn't care if it's, uh, you know, reading books. He, He doesn't care what place it is. Just a place. And once he has a place, once he has a foothold, he's going to move from foothold to stronghold. That's why some of us right now, it's just like, it's not that big a deal. And you're right. It's not that big a deal right now. But pretty soon Satan will have built a fort in your life, an impenetrable fortress that you won't be able to tear down on your own from any place to a fortified city, from a foothold to a stronghold, this is what he wants to do. And de- the devil, he's always looking for a partner. Satan is always looking for a partner. He works through people. When Jesus would roll into town, what would happen? The demon possessed would come out. And it, it was always a person who was possessed, who was under the influence of a demon. Why? Because Satan is looking for partners. He doesn't just exert his authority and force spiritually and invisibly. He's always looking for a partner. And we see that all around our, our city. Last Sunday night, Amanda and the kids are, are driving to a place to eat. It's, it's like seven o'clock on a Sunday night. We pass this one shopping center and the whole shopping center is totally shut down. It's mostly a medical shopping center, you know, kind of one of those strip centers, whatever. It's just, you know, it's got a doctor here and a dentist here and an optometrist here and those kinds of places. Chiropractic, chiro, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> it's that place, except for one of the stores was bright. Lit up like the noonday sun at seven o'clock on Sunday night. And it was a foot reflexology place. But I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know what that is. That may be a totally legitimate thing. But it was weird because all these other medical practices were totally shut down in normal looking storefronts. Except for this one was bright. But it was weird bright because all of the windows on the front of the shopping center for that one were blacked out. And so we started talking, why would a foot reflexology place, first of all, need to black out their windows? Why would this place be open on a Sunday night when all the other businesses in here are closed? 
And we've had enough experience in this city to know that they may do a little foot reflexology there, but what they really do there is sell sex. You ever seen those spa places around? Those little storefront spa places? Those are not spa places. Don't go there if you need a massage. In fact, they might not even give you one. Amanda had a friend in town uh, a year and a half ago or so, and and Amanda was showing her some of these places, you know, uh, this woman is an expert in uh, human trafficking and, and she, she was just showing her, hey, here are some of the places in our city. And so they roll into one of these spas at, at, at noon on a Thursday, a time that a spa should normally be open. So our friend, she just walks in and she goes, I, I want a massage. And they were like, no, we don't do that. She's like, okay, well, you know, I want you to rub my feet or, you know, whatever. I want the services that you provide and they wouldn't provide any. Because all they do there is sell sex. Darkness. Darkness in our city. But we can't just say, oh, the devil, the devil, the devil. Why? Because some human had to rent out the storefront. And some human had to move in the furniture. And some human had to be willing to work it. And some human had to be behind the scenes orchestrating all of it through force. The exertion of will. Satan is always looking for a partner. And if you and I are not careful, we'll end up being the partner. There's more than enough darkness in me to partner with the partner with the darkness in him and in you too. So the Ephesians, they get the spiritual reality. They, they understand there's all kinds of crazy, evil, dark things happening in these invisible places. So what? What do we do? That's why the apostle Paul says this in verse 13. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. So he's gonna go through the armor. So the first one is the belt of truth. Righteousness like armor on your chest, so the breastplate of righteousness and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. So we're wearing our shoes. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it, you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil ones. So we got our shield, take the helmet of salvation, our helmet and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. The sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon. You've probably heard that in this whole list of armor. Everything else is about protection, but the sword of the spirit is about offense. It's about taking the battle to the enemy. And so it says the sword of the spirit. This sword was a Roman gladius. It was a short sword. It was two feet long. The Roman soldiers would carry it. Uh, That's why in Hebrews chapter four, when the writer of Hebrews is is also talking about the word, uh, how does he describe it? Uh, Hebrews chapter four, uh, verse 12. What does he say? He says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It is the judge of the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. Essentially what the word of God does, the sword, is it dissects us. It opens us up so the truth can be revealed. It exposes us. Which is why some of us don't read it very often. Because when we read it, all we do is we feel convicted. We feel bad. Because it, it shows us who we really are. So you can't bull the word. You can't pretend enough to convince the word of God that you really are who you say you are. 
You can't wear a mask when you come to the scripture. You can wear a mask when you come to church. We have no idea. You could be the most worthless human being in the world and we might give you a place of leadership here. Because we don't know. We can't tell. We don't follow you home. You can lie to us. You can put on a mask. But you can't do that with the word. It dissects. It cuts. It's a sword. And whose sword is it? It's the sword of the spirit. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We see Jesus wield the scripture like a sword. He's baptized in chapter 3. Chapter four starts, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now Satan is getting ready to, to, to quote Psalm chapter 91. He will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So Satan, you're bringing Psalm 91 and you're using it inappropriately. Let me tell you about Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. Do not, put the te- uh, do not test the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things If you will fall down and worship me, then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 13. Then the devil left him and immediately angels came and began to serve him. So we see Jesus that he knows how to wield the sword. How does he do it? How, how can you and I do it? If it's our offensive weapon against these spiritual forces of darkness, how can we wield it appropriately? First, Jesus memorizes it. At some point in his life, he memorized Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. And at some point he had memorized Psalm chapter or Deuteronomy chapter six. And at some point he had memorized verse 13 of Deuteronomy chapter six. And verse 16, he had put it, into his heart. Right? I mean, you can you imagine going to the ER, you're having a heart attack, you're feeling it and your arm starts hurting and you say to your spouse, I think, I don't know, something's wrong with me, take me to the ER. And they take you to the ER and they get you in there and sure enough, you're having a heart attack and you're too young to have a heart attack, but you've eaten a lot of McDonald's in your life so you pretty much have known it's coming. I don't know, that's somebody's story. I'm not sure whose story that is. And you get there and the doctor's like, yeah, we got to do some emergency surgery right now. Let me go and get my textbook. You're like, wait, 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 wait. This is the ER. This is an emergency. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. But I was really busy in med school and they were throwing a lot of different information at me. So here's what I did. I just carry around all my textbooks. So I got them all in my car. I got what you need. You got a heart problem? I got a heart textbook. You got a lung problem? I got a lung textbook. You got a knee problem? I got a knee textbook. Let me go and get it. And he goes and gets it and you're laying there, but it's like in the moments before you fall asleep and they really start doing the work and you see him over there going, hmm, I wonder what page would be good. What strategy would be good for this guy? 
You'd be like, no, 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 I want a new doctor. I want one who's memorized it. I want one who's internalized it. So we can wield the information. It's great to carry around your Bible. In fact, I think it's a pretty good idea. There are not very many times that I leave the house that I don't have it close by. I think that's a great idea. But if you're going to need it in that moment of temptation, you're not going to have time to go, well, I don't know, should I click on this or should I not click on this? Let me go over here and get my Bible. Should I respond to this guy's email? He's from work. He's crossed the line. He's telling me about his marriage and how hard it is. And my marriage is hard right now. And I don't know. Let me go and get my Bible and and just see what it says about it. Oh, you're going to need the word in that moment. You're going to have to have memorized it. Jesus also believes it. Memorize it, believe it. He knew it was true. He knew it was effective. And then he knew how to apply it. He knew this is the moment. This is the moment where this scripture is right. This is the moment when this scripture is going to save me. It's a sword and it's a sword of the spirit. The apostle Paul says, I love what Charles Spurgeon said back in the 1800s when he said, the sword belongs to the spirit. The word is also the weapon that the spirit uses. So you want to know what's the, what work is the Holy Spirit going to do in my life? He's going to do work according to the word. The Holy Spirit will use the word of God. It's his sword, the sword of the spirit. That's why Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 26, that he's going to come and teach you all things. And he's going to remind you of what I have said. The number one thing that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you when he speaks to you is what Jesus has already said. So if he comes and he starts telling you a bunch of different things than Jesus has said, then you can know that's not the Holy Spirit. That's just me. That's my imagination. Maybe that's the enemy coming and, and you know, masquerading as, uh, as light in, in my life. But he's going to remind us of what Jesus says. And then the Holy Spirit is the one that God used to inspire the scripture. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us, that he carried along the writers of the scripture. He inspired them. So the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire the scripture, then not to use it. It is his sword, the sword of the spirit, and it is God's word. And this is where we'll finish. Scripture is God breathed. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And what gives the scripture authority is the authority of God. The Bible doesn't just stand over here in a weird spot where there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. And oh yeah, over here kind of just in this weird spot is the, is the scripture. It's not the way it works. God has all authority. And we see after Jesus was re- resurrected, he delegates that authority to Jesus because Jesus says to his disciples on the mountain right before he ascends, right? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we respond to the scripture, we are responding to the authority of Jesus. So when we use the scripture to fight off darkness, we're not standing on our own ability. We're not standing on our own authority. We're not standing on the church's authority. We're not standing on somebody else's authority. We are standing on the authority of Jesus. And remember, the demons, they know Jesus's name. They don't know your name. You're like, well, they might know my name. I'm pretty awesome. You're not that awesome. (laughs) But they know Jesus, Paul they've heard of. We don't know you. 
So let's not bring us to the battle. When you're in your moment of temptation, you don't go, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Why? Because I'm the kind of person who doesn't do that. Because I'm the kind of person who can resist. Because I'm the kind of person who, you know, is not gonna blow up my family. No, in the moment of temptation, you go, this is what Jesus' authority says through the scripture. So you fight off darkness, not by what you and I bring, but by what Jesus brings in all of his authority. I mean, even Jesus used the word of God when he was being tempted, when he was fighting off darkness. He didn't ever just say, hey, I'm Jesus. Back off me. He didn't say, I'm the son of God. He didn't say, I'm the prince of heaven. He quoted the scripture. And look what Satan tested him in. And this is where Satan's going to test you too. He tested Jesus's restraint. Jesus is hungry. Fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus, just use your power for your own selfish reasons. You're hungry. Use your power, use your authority, use your connection to God to provide for yourself. But Jesus restrains himself. No, that's, that's not what I'm doing. I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan's gonna come and he's gonna test your restraint this week. Just do it. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, you said you wouldn't do it anymore, but let's do it. He's gonna come. The powers of evil are gonna come. And they're gonna test your restraint. How are you gonna respond? You're gonna respond by, no, I can hold myself together. No, no, you're, you're restraining yourself through the authority of Jesus in the word of God. He tests Jesus's relationship with the father. And the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What he's saying is, uh, hey, Jesus, why don't you just put your relationship with God to the test? Why don't you just jump off this building? And I think the Bible says that they'll rescue you. You're not going to hit the ground, but why don't you test it and see? And you think about Jesus. Jesus, at one time before creation was created, up until that Bethlehem moment, he was with the Father in heaven. But now he's on earth. He's taken on human flesh. He doesn't have that closeness that he once had. When he wants to talk to God, he has to go to a lonely place and pray himself in the same way that you and I do. And so I wonder if Jesus ever thought like, I know it's the same, but is it the same? I know you love me, but is it the same? I know I'm still the favored son of heaven, but am I really still the favored son of heaven? And Satan tests that relationship. He's going to test your relationship with God. He's going to say, God hasn't blessed you. Look at this economy. Look, you just got laid off. Look, you're worried about being laid off. God's not blessed you. If you were blessed, if you were favored, you wouldn't be worrying about this. Look at all these other people that are blessed. God's abandoned you. God doesn't hear your prayers. He's going to test and tempt your relationship with God. And how are you going to stand in the face of it? 
You stand on the authority of Jesus by wielding the sword of the Spirit. And he tests Jesus' resolve. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. What Satan is saying is let's do it the easy way. Because at the end of the plan, the life, death, and resurrection, when Jesus returns, all these kingdoms are gonna fall down and worship him. At the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. But Satan says, let's just do it the easy way. If you just worship me right now, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. He tests Jesus' resolve and he's gonna test your resolve too. Are you gonna follow through with the purpose that God has laid on your life? Are you gonna fulfill the ministry that he has called you to? Are you going to persevere Are you going to endure or are you going to eject at the first sign of difficulty? Are you going to take the shortcut when the shortcut is just a dead end? He's going to test your resolve. And when he does, what are you going to fight with? You're going to fight with your own experience. You're going to fight with, well, I heard somebody say one time, no, you're going to fight with the sword of the spirit. And you're going to say, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The sword of the spirit, which is God's word. This is how we fight darkness. And so if you've got darkness in your life right now, the answer is the word. The authority of Jesus found in the pages of scripture. You know, Jesus loved the scripture. In fact, it was some of his final words. He's hanging on the cross and he's quoting Psalm chapter 22, verse one, when he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm 31 when he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And in John chapter 19, right before Jesus says, it is finished, It says, now, Jesus knowing that now all things had been accomplished according to the scripture. In Jesus' darkest moment, when the forces of darkness were all over him, when your salvation and my salvation was hanging in the balance, was being purchased, we find Jesus quoting the word of God. That's a good reminder for all of us today. That your salvation was purchased according to the scripture. And so according to the scripture today, could today be your day of salvation? Could you say, you know what? I've got the curtain pulled back and there's an awe and an awakening happening in me. And I need to believe. Maybe today is that day for you. Maybe for others of us, it's like I got to get in the word because I didn't know I was in a fight. I thought this was just about becoming a better person. You're in the battle. And we can't overcome darkness in the world and in ourselves apart from the word of God. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your authority in the word. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring it. And we run to it today. We run to it, not because it's history. We run to it because it's a weapon for us to fight off the darkness that's in us, in our city, and in the world. So help us see your scripture as more important than food. By it we live. Give us a love for it. In Jesus' name we pray.